welcome to SLP Full Disclosure, the podcast for SLPs by SLPs, where we deep dive into a variety of topics to empower, educate, and entertain. Join us each episode to hear from expert guests and topics that matter most. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and let's jump into this episode. Hello, and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I'm one of your hosts, Jennifer Martin, and joining me is my co-host, Alyssa Hunter. Hi, everybody. So we just want to welcome our amazing listeners. We are just really, really happy that you're joining us today and um, are just excited to have this time with you. So one of the things that I've been noticing a lot lately, or I guess it's not something that's new, but something, again, that I just feel like I've really felt a lot of pride about within our SLP community lately is that I have noticed how generous everybody has been and probably even before this pandemic, but now. And what I mean by that is the generosity with sharing ideas, resources, inspiration, um, and just being having that willingness to share this with others in the field. I, I don't know if this is something that occurs in other fields, but I've just noticed it and been so proud of 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 people doing that. And our guest today is one of those SLPs that um, has such great knowledge and shares it with all of us. So today we are going to be speaking with Casey Wickerson about something that I personally feel is so important and I think that you'll agree. And it really is something that I think will change your practice if you're not already incorporating it. Um, And that is just parent caregiver involvement and parent coaching. But before we get started, I want to introduce you to this talented professional that is joining us today. So Casey Wickerson, which you can find her on Classic Casey on on YouTube, and that is Classic with a K and Casey with a K in case. (laughs) And we'll link all that information at the end as well. Um, She's an ASHA certified speech language pathologist and the owner of Teach Speech LLC. During her second semester of her first year in grad school, she decided to pick up a camera and start telling her story. Um, She created her YouTube channel, which I mentioned is Classic Casey, with hopes of connecting with her SLP community and inspiring SLP-to-bees to keep pushing through their journey. Through her practice Teach Speech, she has helped hundreds of parents understand communication development, why it's important, and how they can take an active role in improving communication under their own roof. And she does this through a couple of different ways. She does this through teach speech courses and her signature intimate coaching programs that will offer guided support for parents that will strengthen their child's speech and language skills in the comfort of her own home. Um, But if if that was not enough, um, <laughs> which I can't imagine, she has time to even sleep. But when she's not doing all this, not educating parents, inspiring SLPs, um, you can find her watching YouTube videos, um, playing with her golden doodle cash, or catching up on audiobooks. So welcome, Casey. We are so happy to have you today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Casey, I, I mean... Even though that was your bio, I'm echoing Jennifer in that (laughs) it's so amazing having you as a teacher to the SLP community at large. I know I've been following you for a while and thinking, wow, 
this is the most accessible information I can find. Like it's in a way presented in a way that everyone can understand whether you're an SLP or a parent of a child. And so thank you for everything you do. I'm really excited to learn more about how you came to be because the world needs more of you. So maybe we can uh, (laughs) teach some people how to be more like you today. Um, So, okay, let's start from the beginning. Tell us about your journey as an SLP so far. What settings have you been in SLP at? And tell us about where you currently work. Sure. So I started after grad school, I started in a home health, like early intervention clinic. So we, there was of course a building, so a a clinic and I saw early intervention aged kids there. And then I also did, um, speech therapy in their homes as well. So I did that until basically until I got my C's because I was an independent contractor and I did that. And then I wanted a little bit more stability with the money. So I went into the school system, which opened my eyes to a lot of different things. And so I went to elementary school after that. And uh, I was actually at an elementary school and then I had another school split between two the first one was an elementary, you know, K through five. And then the other one was K through eight. So I actually got to see middle school students there too. And then after that, I moved to the St. Louis area, which is where I am now. And I've, for the past, this is my third year being in the at the high school level. So I've, in the short amount of time, I've really enjoyed it because I've gotten to see little ones all the way to high school And so it's been really, really interesting. And I think that as far as my practice goes and my experience, seeing all of those different age levels of kids um, helped me understand what they need at that level. And it helped me understand who's the best to give it to them. And it also helped me just understand again, which I guess we'll get into later, but how much parents need to be involved because some of the similarities between, which sounds crazy, but similarities between kindergartners and fourth graders and sixth graders and 10th graders, you know, there are still similarities between the children at those different ages when it comes to their deficits. And I think that when it comes to best practice, I know that of course, ethically and all of those approaches and everything that we've learned is best practice. But my best practice I have learned is when I can treat the whole child and educating the other people um, who also see the child outside of my speech room so that my stuff continues to be taught and implemented when they're not with me. Yeah. And I love that, um, you know, when you said that there's a lot of similarities between like mm-hmm. a kindergartner and an older child, yeah. a middle school student. Well, I have a myself, a 13 year old son, and it is amazing how much he is like <laughs> a three year old son. I mean, they say yeah. it kind of comes back around. I'm like, oh my, what is oh, happening right. here? I, I think <laughs> we, we seem to have regressed and then I'm hoping we're going to go back again, but you're exactly right about yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and it was something that I, I wasn't sure if I was like, I'm like, is this me? Like, am I tripping? Or do I see a little bit of a, when I used to work in the elementary school, I saw this too, you know? Mm -hmm. And then now it's just, you're 17 and I see it. So it's different and it's alarming um, 
a little bit as well. So yeah, that's basically my journey though. That's how, that's where I am now. And then of course I have Teach Speech, um, which I run part-time-ish when I'm just literally just not working full-time, like when I'm not working at the schools any other time I'm working for Teach Speech. So yeah. Well, and I definitely want to touch on that because I think that is something where I remember so many of my colleagues in grad school and even after they were like, oh, I want to start my own practice. I want to open my mm-hmm. own business. And it's <laughs> it sounds great and seems yeah. like, how hard could that be? But it's I know um, personally that it can be very challenging. Right. Now, you are the CEO of your company. You actually not only just wanted to do it, but you did it. And you do have this company called Teach Speech. Um, so how did you... What made you decide to go from the schools and in addition to have this company? And um, tell us a little bit about your mission as at this company. Yeah. So when I went from home health and early intervention and then I went to elementary school, that is when I feel like when I said my eyes were open to everything, that's when everything I had ever heard or uh, learned about the achievement gap opportunity gap, all of those things, that's when it clicked for me when I went to the elementary school because I started to get flooded with kids. And I was like, okay, I know. I I mean, I have heard SOPs are always burned out. You know, schools is like, could be stressful, especially school settings with the little ones. But I was just like, there's no way all of these kids need speech. Like, there's just no way. And so I kind of did a deep dive into my caseload. And I was trying to, I saw that, and even in, you know, performance in my sessions and things that I was, a lot of my kids who were added to my caseload or who needed speech um, were there because they were delayed, not necessarily disordered. Of course, we treat them, we treat them all. But I was wondering why there were so many delays in that when we get into the speech therapy session, as long as I can implement and drill and give you that intentional time and we practice on this skill over a few months, you your progress is a little faster than, of course, other children who may be disordered. But I wondered how they got there in the first place. And so when I was wondering that, I ended up getting a little bit more inquisitive in my IEP meetings. And so I would make sure, I would ask the parent a little bit more. I would make sure the parent knew exactly who I was. I would start to, you know, give give them more information, hey, or give them more welcoming uh, encouragement to contact me. And when I was talking to parents, and I honestly, I just, this is probably not the best, but I would just contact parents when I felt like giving an update because I'm like, you got to get involved here. Like, you know, we you, you got to see what your child is doing or know what your child is working on. So when we would have these conversations in the IEP meetings, I was I was kind of shocked at how many parents were telling me, yeah, he's always had issues with that. Yeah, she's always struggled with that a little bit. And when she was two or three, they would go back to that early intervention age and they would say, well, yeah, I didn't know, but I wasn't sure. And we didn't really do this. And they would admittedly tell me that they were clueless on what to do in that, you know, area with their child during early intervention age. And that's when the light bulb went off for me. Doesn't mean that the parent is at complete fault and that's the reason why a child has language delays and everything else. And that's why they ended up on my caseload. No, am I complaining that 
they're on my caseload? No. Maybe complaining about the numbers on my caseload, but not complaining <laughs> about that specific child, right? So I the light bulb went off because it was like, wait a minute, do parents really not know what to do? You know, and, and it's like, it sounds like a naive question, but then I took it inward. I'm like, that means I've been sitting in sessions at people's homes in in front of parents and evaluations and things like that, just doing my job, doing what I've been trained to do, but I've been leaving out and missing out on a major piece, which is the parent understanding what I do and not to the point where, you know, they're SLPs themselves, but just that, hey, when I do this, I do this because blank and they respond well when I do blank. So things like that um, kind of is what made me feel the need to to have Teach Speech, which is a hyper-focused speech therapy company that focuses more so on parent education, partnership, and uh, coaching so that parents know how to facilitate and implement communication strategies at home when their child is outside of the presence of an SLP or whatever professional that they're working with. I love that (laughs) because we're only with the child for, you know, imagine if someone said, okay, you need to learn French, but we're only going to teach you for 15 minutes a week, two times a week. And then we're like, why isn't the kid learning French? Absolutely. And at that time, I was actually learning Spanish. (laughs) So I was understanding on a different level, like, oh, wait a minute. You know, when I leave this session, I only come to you once a week for an hour, which is literally the time that my clients were coming to see me. So it's like, I actually have to study this and practice this. And, you know, I I need to do more outside of this session. And I needed parents to really understand that. Hopefully I answered the question, but yes, yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny that you say that because I learned Spanish starting when I was in seventh grade. So 12 or 13, not an easy age to start. Mm-hmm. And the amount of effort I had to put in and I'm like, I understand what the language acquisition process feels yes. like because this is not coming naturally <laughs> to me at yes. all. Yes. And it actually helped me a lot as a bilingual SLP going through that process of learning a language because you can understand how a kid isn't catching on to vocabulary or exactly. pronunciation or, you know, grammar features. So exactly. I shout out to everyone, all the SLPs out there who know another language, keep doing what you're doing. It will For not sure. only help you professionally, but also understanding things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but okay. So I love that you said that your company is hyper-focused on that parent relationship, that parent coaching model. And I think that there's more and more SLPs out there, especially while everyone is homebound right now, that wants to engage in those positive parent coaching you know, relationships. But mm-hmm. sometimes it can feel intimidating, For especially sure. as a new clinician. Yes. So, Give a little insight. What are your first steps when establishing a client relationship for a parent coaching partnership? Like, do you use any specific questionnaires when you're interviewing them? Do you also bring in the child directly or do you just speak with the parents? Like, how does that look if you're doing straight up parent coaching? Yeah. So for my, as far as like my coaching programs and things like that, typically when I establish a coaching relationship with a parent, I am talking to the parent. Now, the kid is 
clearly somewhere, you know, (laughs) near around, probably in the background on their lap, you know, things like that. But I do make it a point. I get very clear on what the purpose of our conversation and the purpose of our meeting is for. I say I'm a speech pathologist. Of course, I am trained and educated to work with your child. This, however, is for you. So I always make it clear that Of course, I could be your child speech pathologist and your child's therapist, but I am really a resource for you. And even if even if you're in the position where you are the child speech pathologist and you just want to educate, you know, your client's parent, you you can also just you have to communicate why you're there and that you you have to communicate that your position um, holds different there's different aspects of your position. So I have the therapy, we do this session, but I am also here for you. What questions do you have? How does he How does he do when I'm not here? How have you guys practiced? What do you typically do when this happens? So a lot of times establishing, it, it's, it's, very, uh, it's very similar to establishing rapport with the kid, you know, how we how we go about establishing rapport with kids and like new kids on our caseload and things like that. You have to establish a rapport with the with a parent. And you do have to like I said be clear about what you do, how you can help them, make sure that they know that any questions that they may have, they can ask, that you can discuss some things, that you're willing to send them some things that they can try. You have to establish yourself as somebody that is support for not only just their child, but them too. So I don't have, I, I do use questionnaires and and things of that nature, but it's really more so um, like forms that I use before we get on a consultation call so that I kind of know what their concern is and how I can help. I just kind of know where the conversation is going and there's things that I can pinpoint. So if it's like, yeah, he says 10 words. And I say, okay, um, what are those 10 words? And they name five, but they're telling me that he, what they really mean is he understands words, but he's not saying them. So then I need to make that distinction. Oh, okay. So there's a little bit of a difference between the, the, the words that he says and the words that he understands. And so that is called receptive language. I mean, like I just go into you have to use what you know and you have to be able to dumb it down. And I, I say that, but, you know, pare it down and not use jargon with parents because they need to understand. And that that is what helps make them more comfortable. I can't imagine going into a doctor's office and, you know, the doctor giving me a diagnosis of some sort or trying to tell me something and explaining it in sciencey terms. And we all know that as SLPs, but sometimes it, as a professional, when you're using jargon with everybody else and we in our old community just know what we're talking about, you know, it, it can be natural, but it also can be kind of like you were saying, a it can be a shift to have to go into like, okay, wait, you don't know what I'm <laughs> what I'm talking about. So this is what we mean by this, this is what we mean by this, and really be a good listener, be able to listen to the parent and say and engage their understanding of what you are trying to convey to them as well. So a lot of times I do, um, they, they fill out a form um, before we begin our consultation. I can review that form and I kind of go in informed on what they have questions or concerns about. And then I hear out their stories and I ask important, I listen well and I ask important questions. And that typically 
helps them feel comfortable. And even if we don't end up working together, they walk away with some strategies and a little bit more confidence on whether or not like, you know, they were just completely worried or they're not at least they're at least they're not wondering anymore. So I at least can say, okay, now I'm not I don't that's not very consistent. So here's what I want you to do. Do this for the next six weeks. And if you see this, then call me back, you know, or things like that to at least give them something when they leave and they're not leaving empty handed. So that's the best way I am able to establish a relationship is just by teaching them what I know and then making the environment comfortable for them to tell me what they don't know and tell me what they're concerned about. Well, and in the beginning, when I said, I think some of this information, if it's not being implemented now, can be practice changing. Um, You just said so many things that I really think are just that fall into that category and are so important for therapists to hear and understand. Um, And the fact that, and it's really many parents, they don't know what we do. They, they aren't supposed to know what we do. And so we can't assume that. And, and I think when they don't know, and we just, you know, using our jargon and whatnot, we're creating barriers Mm -hmm. And, and we don't want that. We want to, this to feel like you said, a partnership. And when you, and and many times parents as well, I'm also a bilingual speech therapist and have worked primarily with Spanish speaking families. And many of them had just arrived in the country a year ago. So they really didn't know what the heck I did or what was (laughs) about. So I got used to, just like you said, explaining everything and not assuming they, they knew what I did, what I was there for. And right. I think all that does is just, again, break down those barriers, create trust, help mm-hmm. build the relationships where they feel safe saying, um, I don't know about any of this. I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. And then us being able to say, oh, well, this is exactly why I'm here, what I'm going to look at, what we're going to work on together. And um, and I think that is what creates, again, that breaks down those barriers, builds the relationship. And then you do have a partner yeah. who feels confident. Yes working with their child because I think sometimes too if they're intimidated they don't really know what to do they don't do anything yes yes and I feel like just like what you said I feel like something that I on the other side of my passion for partnering with parents and educating them I have a passion for letting other SLPs know, hey, they don't know what we do. So we have a high responsibility. And I think, of course, it has, the light has been, you know, the light came on this year, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. But it's like, guys, they don't know what we do. And we have a responsibility to teach them and to talk about what we do. And because a lot of times we can get a little offended when, you know, a parent is like, well, all they do is play and, and things like that. And it's like, that is not a time to be offended. That's a time to teach and to advocate for our profession and why we're important and why we're needed. And so I think that, you know, that's a responsibility that we have on the other side is to make sure that they know and to make sure that they understand why we're important and then why they're important at the same time. Oh, I like that. Both people are, you know, it is, it's a partnership, it takes, it's a collaboration. Well, yes, so, it takes all of us. Yeah. 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 And, and when you have a parent coming to you, um, what are the most common concerns that you're hearing? And I'm curious as well on that question also is 
how have those concerns changed during this time when everybody's <laughs> home together yeah. all the time? Yeah. So my most common concern right now is the late talking. And that is kind of why I had created my program for uh, the late talking toddler. A lot of parents, and I think it's it's especially this year, but then it's also just the advancement of technology and, you know, how how motivated kids are by technology. But my most the the biggest concern that I hear is that my child isn't using enough words. And the most common story is always they saw somebody else, they saw some another child who was their, their same child's age, who was talking up a storm, and it made them think. And, you know, but they don't know, they don't know. And, you know, they'll ask their pediatrician most times it does not go well. The pediatrician will tell them to wait and see. And then, you know, it's to me, it's just such a snowball because it's like, oh my gosh, no, no wait and see. No, <laughs> like let's, let's do an evaluation um, because I don't want them to have difficulty in school. And so that's basically the biggest concern um, that I hear. And that's the one that I work on. That, those are the parents that I work with the most, um, the late talking children. Don't wait and see. Go see the SLP. What does Casey say? Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what I say. Don't wait and see. Go see the SLP. I know. I love that. I was like, oh, so catchy. It is so catchy. You know what? I said it in a workshop one day and I was like, that's a chant. Yeah. (laughs) That is a mantra. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, hey, let's say that together, parents. They're yeah. like, wait, don't wait and see. Go see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, a, that is exactly what I preach. Yep. Do not wait and see. Yeah. I I love that. We need, we need more of those chants. So if you could keep uh, working on sure. some of those. You know, I'll then... try to cook some up for you guys. It's going to be a long winter. So you know, <laughs> we need I some know. fuel here. <laughs> right. Right. So, okay. So you have a lot of parents who have concerns. They come to you. They participate in your program. What are some of the things that you see that parents do that positively contribute to the overall success of their child and goals? Like, I'm sure when you run these programs, you have some parents who are like hyper successful and are like, wow, like this was magic. This is amazing. (laughs) And then other parents that it doesn't go so well. And of course, compliance is a factor, but you know, it's always good to think about like, what are the positive role models here? Like what... What can we guide parents towards? I feel like the thing that I see the difference, if you, if we talk about parents who kind of see the results and the parents who don't, is the buy-in. It is simply the buy-in. It's the understanding. Sometimes it's even the level of concern. Some parents have been concerned for so long that now they're willing to do whatever it takes. And now they're, you know, now they're buying in. And that comes with what it comes with, you know, because depending on how long you wait and see, things cannot progress. Um, But for the parents who do buy in, oh my goodness, it's so, it's like rewarding on a second level because you get to see this interaction between the parents and the child. And you also get to see the progress of the child happen at the same time. And so it's happening when you're not there. It's happening when you are there. It's always happening. But 
the parents who uh the parents who have success tap in they buy in they ask questions they are observant of their child and they're they're really observant in a more accurate way because I'm able to say here's what you're looking for and when you know the signs of things when you know the behaviors that comes with some things then you know what to look for and you're able to give me more information and I can able, and I'm able to guide you into what you need to do next or you know what you need to work on what strategy might work but they have to understand the most successful parent is the parent who is solution aware. That means they're not just aware of the problem, they're aware of the problem and they're aware of the solution and they buy into the, they want to participate. Oh, that gave me the chills. Solution aware. <laughs> I, I'm like writing down notes, mantras, vocab. Yeah. And it takes us to get them there though too sometimes. Sometimes they're completely unaware of what the problem is. And so sometimes it takes, okay, well, typically it takes a lot of education there. And then sometimes there's, there's parents who are problem aware. They know the problem, but they're not fully convinced that you have that solution or that your, your way is the solution. And then you have parents who are solution aware, who know the problem, who understand the solution and who are committed to making sure they participate so that they see the desired result. But then and you're, oh, sorry, good. Oh, we're both sorry. like, we have so many things to say. <laughs> well, and I was going to say also what I love that I want to circle back to is you talking about accurate reporting of the yes. child. Yes. Because there, I've seen so many parents of kids with, who are more significantly impacted by their disability who attribute very adult-like behaviors to their child who is doing things for a completely different reason. So they'll say, oh, he's so stubborn. Oh, like she's such a diva. Oh, they, you know, whatever. And it's like, this is not accurate. This is actually, they're throwing a tantrum right now because they're frustrated because they can't communicate or, you know, the way you gave them a choice, they weren't actually able to make a choice. Right. And so I think that it's so interesting thinking about kind of those three stages when a parent's Mm -hmm. coming to you, that accurate reporting, understanding the problem, but then also buying into that there is actually a solution yeah. that can help. It's not yeah. just like up to chance or like the Absolutely. fate that they were given. And part of them being being committed and participating in the solution, they have to understand that there's a change that is going to occur in me in order to see the solution. So uh, that's one of the first things I make clear in my parent coaching program is like, hey, so we're going to see some changes in the little one. But that means you're going to learn some things and you're, you, may, you may have to change the way you interact. You may have changed the pitch of your voice. You may have to get a little bit more playful. You may have to get on the floor. Like there's things that some parents don't, some parents don't do. And it is difficult for them to get into that. I call it a, your implementation attitude. <laughs> so like, like get that playfulness, get that, you know, do what you have to do. Be committed to being uncomfortable and buying into the solution so that you can see and your child, so that your child can thrive and you can see the result that you desire. But that's where you come in and your role is so important is because many times you don't know what you don't know. And so right. you're giving them something where I think sometimes parents can feel 
helpless or they don't know where to start and you're mm-hmm. giving them actual here's something you can start doing today. Mm-hmm. And that probably then helps build their confidence that they're yeah. like, oh, I do see, I'm doing what she said. And when I do that, this, I do see this improves. Right. And right. so it does become that cycle where they yeah. feel more confident. They yeah. see the change. And so mm-hmm. you're just like and they you trust said. what you said. Yes. They, when they see it, they trust what you said. And then they want to come back yes. and say, okay, well, when I did this, he mm-hmm. did this. And I say, okay, so we can ask, we can have a discussion mm-hmm. about what it is that you may have done to, to get that type of response. Mm-hmm. It just builds, like I like you said, it builds their confidence mm-hmm. and their willingness to try when they actually take a step and try it, And then they see a, a positive result. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing as rewarding if anybody listening who's done in home with, with families and kids is when you show up and they say, oh my gosh, I got to show you this. You've got to yes. see this. And you're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you actually, you know, it's, it, it's exciting and it's a great it feeling. And it's like, you can, you feel happy because they're so happy and they feel yes. like, look what happened. Yes. Um, and I've shared this with Alyssa before too, but I, uh, years ago worked in a community where I, realized that it just was a population that I could not continue to work with because they wanted me to fix them. No, you fix them. And I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work for me. You know, I can't. And I immediately changed. (laughs) It doesn't work. It It doesn't doesn't work. work. And it's only frustrating if it's it's frustrating for the child. It's frustrating frustrating for the therapist and the parents because they're not going to see as much progress. But that's where that whole practice, that shift change happened with me. I said, oh, I can't do that. That's, I'm, I'm not, if I had a magic wand, I will be on my island. That's and I, what I tell parents all the time. <laughs> and I and I think that that is part of getting them to the solution aware mm-hmm. part when they just need to know about what we do and then what we don't do. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say there has never been a promise for me to fix your child. Mm-hmm. If you're not in it for the, if you don't understand that there's going to be time that's going to be required, yeah. <laughs> that you're not going to see things tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing, even with parent coaching. It's like, you do have to, I, I honestly, I keep it real with, you know, my parent clients. I'm like, listen, you're not going to see it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's just something, if your child was seeing me every single week, you wouldn't ask me, <laughs> where's the results at the, at next week? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So you got to give your, you got to give your child some time, even though there are some parents who, want to see the results immediately, even when their child is Mm -hmm. in speech therapy, you know, a lot of times because they, a lot of times because parents will drop their kid off or will leave the room when you're, you know, Mm -hmm. they're not always asking for results immediately, but I, it's interesting because when the parent buys in, now they're looking for the result and they don't really understand the process Mm -hmm. of learning and building you know, skills. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many things that we have to teach them. And it just comes with making sure you're having conversation and opening that space up to where they feel like they can ask questions and learn from you. Yeah. yeah. And oh. I always <laughs> tell them, and I, I get so excited. We're both <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> well, I, I just want to say real quick, just to piggyback on that, because it goes along with that, is just I remind them all the time it is not a marathon or not a sprint, it's a marathon. Right. And it is a marathon. And I think that sets the expectation mm-hmm. ahead of time so that it is yes. realistic. Like, this isn't, you're, you know, we're going to be working on this for a while, but once right. they have it, they have right. it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I was just going to say that at least for me, when I think back to when I was a new clinician, I think one of the most intimidating parts of working with parents was setting those expectations. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted to be that magic person for them. And I wanted that excitement of you walk in the door and they show you something. And in reality, like we know from training, we know from experience, that's not going to happen for months. And so I love this idea of really direct expectations right from the beginning. Because just like how kids need expectations of quiet hands and quiet feet, I always say parents need expectations too. They need boundaries. If they know what to expect, then they're not disappointed. Because if you say, hey, I expect in three months for there to be this incremental change, then that's what they know. That's what's in their head. But when you leave those things unsaid, then that parent might be thinking, oh yeah, in three months, we're going to be done with this. Like I went to physical therapy once for an injury and I was done in three months. So this is probably like similar to that. And so just this very clear expectation setting from the beginning is something that I I need Casey to talk to the younger Alyssa about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I say all the time, one of the questions when we talked about like what, you know, how do you establish a relationship? One of the questions I ask is, how soon do you want to see results? And it's important for me to know that so that I can understand how you understand what this process is. And when they don't understand that, I now I know I have to talk to you about development and about delay and about what that could mean time-wise. So it's definitely important to teach them what they don't know and teach them and give them the expectation. Well, and I definitely want to touch on too, you have such a unique program, your Late Talking Toddler Accelerator <laughs> Program. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I really I would love to, no, it's good though. It, it, it You know exactly what it is. It describes it perfectly. <laughs> right, I wanted to be clear. <laughs> it is so clear. I know exactly what I'm walking into. Uh, but I want to know a little bit more about that. What does that look like? Um, and I, I one thing I'm really curious about is how you handle this is, giving parents enough to work on, but not so much that they're like, I can't keep up with that. I'm burned out. I'm, I'm, I'm over this. Um, yeah. So yeah. And okay. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's a 12 week accelerator program in which parents understand, well, they, they are taught how to implement and jumpstart verbal communication strategies and uh, enhancing and increasing a child's spoken language and vocabulary. And so what they'll do, we'll spend 12 weeks together, which is a long time, but uh, we spend a lot of time with doing modules. um, So they have trainings that they watch and we have coaching calls and we discuss the trainings. We discuss the homework that they have, you know, which is an activity um, that is related to the training that they've had. So for example, the first week is talking about laying the foundation and we talk about foundational things that their child needs and what that means for them. And then the next week we'll have like a coaching call and we'll talk about the strategy they've tried. We'll talk about how they understood the module and the training. And then I will give them live feedback on what that looks like and what they should try and and listen to their stories. Typically every week, 
there's something that's happening that they have a question about or that they want to show me. So their children are most likely on the call. And I am able to, I, I love that because I'm able to give live feedback. I'm able to see even when you're telling me to hold on and then you're fixing something for them or you're giving them a choice, I can see, okay, see right there, like when you just did that, <laughs> you know, this is this is why you're having that difficulty or this is why that resistance is showing up. So things like that is what we're able to do in my program. And by the end of the program, the promise is not to have your child talking like, you know, talking up a storm. The promise is that you will have more meaningful interactions. And most likely, and what we've seen in most of our clients is that you will have your child has an expanded vocabulary, but you know what to do um, in order to have your child communicate with you more meaningfully. And a lot of that sometimes is like, okay, I know what to do. And now I'm going to make sure my child gets evaluated for speech therapy. And so now when your child is enrolled in speech therapy, you know what's going on, you know how to carry over skills, you know what questions to ask the SLP, you have the knowledge and the confidence as a parent to make sure that you are taking an active role in what's going on in your child's communication development. Well, and I think the light, the feedback piece and the immediate feedback is mm-hmm. so valuable because I know I'm just thinking about anything new that I've learned. If I hear yeah. immediately, oh, no, do, don't do this, do this. It just is much more likely to stick. And it just it helps with the application. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we know even as SLPs, like there's one thing to learn about everything in the classroom. It's another thing when they put you in the school clinic and it's like, oh, my gosh, wait, you know, <laughs> I need to apply what I've learned in the book to real life. And so sometimes that can be, there can be a little bit of a gap there. And I love to make, I love to fill the gap. Well, and what advice do you have for working with parents and making sure to be culturally responsive when, when implementing this? Yeah, I think that advice that, I'm sorry, advice that I have for parents or SLPs, what did you say? SLPs, like, so when you're working with the parents, um, or just you personally, what do you do in order to just have that cultural awareness and responsiveness? Yeah, I ask I ask the questions. I don't assume anything. So, and I listen. Like I said, tell me your story. Tell me what you typically do. Tell me how you typically react, how they react to that. What do they like? What do they not? And when I am asking as far, when I am thinking about a culture outside of my own or anything like, or a culture I have not worked with, I simply genuinely say, oh, I'm not sure about that. Can you tell me more about that? Can you tell me more about how this may fit with what you do and what, how you guys run your household? So I just try to make sure that I'm meeting the need that they have, but I'm not disrespecting in any type of way at the same time. So we, we you really do have to be a partnership <laughs> to make sure and you understand each other to make sure that no boundaries are not being crossed that shouldn't be I was just gonna say partner it all comes back to that it, just, it all you know, comes back to that we yep. cannot wait we cannot get away from that when we shouldn't Mm-mm. want to it's so important so yeah right yeah and I love how exploratory that strategy is is that mm-hmm. going in not assuming but going in just saying 
hey, tell me more about that. Like, tell me you more about... You have to about... be inquisitive because it's yes. like, every, we know that every child that you treat is not the same. Neither are the parents or the families. And some parents take on a lot of guilt, you know? And, and so, so sometimes we have to kind of undo that. And some parents, you know, take on confidence and they have to relearn some things. So it is really like you just need to approach every client with fresh eyes and, you know, every parent with fresh eyes as well. And just to learn them to see how you can help and how you fit. Absolutely. So for our final question to kind of wrap this up, it's so impressive that you have started your own business. And like Jennifer said in the beginning, there's so many people who are like, oh yeah, once I'm a clinician for a few years, I want to start my own <laughs> private practice. But yeah. very few actually do that. And so how did you start growing and navigating like having your own business and being a CEO of your own business and everything from, you know, things we learn in graduate school to the business end of things we didn't. Like, how did you grow your clientele? And I guess what advice would you give for someone out there who's thinking, I want to do something like this. I want to start my own business. Like, how does... (laughs) Yeah. I think you have to decide. You have to decide you're going to do it. And then, which I've always been good at, you have to start talking. (laughs) You got to start talking about, you have to start introducing yourself as an SLP. You have to start looking for, uh, I, I feel like local partnerships are great as well. So I started off, you know, going into preschools. Luckily, I had the, the, experience of working in early intervention. So a lot of times I was doing speech therapy in preschools and daycares and things like that. So a lot of times I would talk to the staff, I would talk to the directors and things like that. So when I began teach speech, that's where I started. And I would say things, I would offer screenings, I would offer uh, professional development for their staff so that the staff knows what they're doing because, you know, that's a whole other thing. And so those are the connections that I would try to make. And then you have to inwardly, personally, because it can be intimidating and difficult to begin your own practice, you have to decide that you are a professional that knows what you're doing and you have to trust yourself and you have to do it. Then you got to just do it and then, you know, make the mistakes and learn and correct and do it again and make the mistakes and learn and correct. But that's basically what I've done. Um, And if you do well, if you show up and do what you know, you know how to do, people will talk about it. And if you represent yourself well enough, people will say things and people will tell their friends about you and people will begin to follow you and people will tune into your video. Like things, things like that happen, but you have to establish yourself and then you got to show up for you. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, you make it sound so easy. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, I'm not implying it's easy. I'm totally being sarcastic. (laughs) No, no, I know. I'm just joking. It's uh, It's not easy, but it is a decision that you do have to make and stick with and know that you're making a difference. Even when you, even if you don't start a, a practice, you're still making a difference. But if you're going to know that you've got to show up for yourself and for the kids that you want to impact. Labor of love. Yeah. Um, and Casey, I have a question too for anybody listening. Do you provide these workshops and the coaching to people outside of your area if there was a parent yes. or somebody? Okay. 
Yeah. So my coaching programs are online. Okay. And so, yeah. So anybody who has a suspected late mm-hmm. talker or any concerns about their child, mm-hmm. they can definitely join um, any of my programs and workshops. I had, I had my, my first workshop was in Atlanta, actually. So I, I would like to, you know, depending on what the next year looks like, I would like to begin continuing to have physical workshops. Mm-hmm. If not, we can go virtual, virtual as well. But yeah, anybody doesn't, it's not just limited to local clients and parents. That's great to know. And I also want everybody has got to go. Alyssa and I are both <laughs> huge fans, but you've got, Casey is very talented. And we were just saying that she she does some really cool things with her videos. Go to her Instagram. And again, it's Classic Casey. So Classic with a K and her name is K-A-C-Y. Her YouTube um, and then the Teach Speech Instagram. And she adds in some really, really great content. I mean, things (laughs) that I wish that I had had when starting my practice, things that would be helpful now. Again, that generosity piece of sharing so much of your knowledge and resources, but she is also very funny. I've got <laughs> some, some, some good, we were just saying, we need more humor in this field. So yeah. um, go to check you. all of that out. You've just got <laughs> such great material content, your website, and um, we'll have all of that in the show notes as well if anybody wants. But Casey, you've just been a treat. We have enjoyed Thank this you. so much. I've enjoyed it too, just as much. Yeah. Casey, yeah, you are a shining light in this field. I mean, <laughs> Thank you I so love much. how much of an expert you are in what you're talking about, but you also keep it real. You just tell it like it is, mm-hmm. whether Absolutely. it be explaining <laughs> your business or giving expectations to parents, like your authenticity and realness is something that I think every SLP mm-hmm. while listening to this can think how can I be more authentic today? Because there is so much pressure on us as SLPs to be perfect, to be magical, to be this, you know, a million hat wearer worker in whatever (laughs) setting you're in. Mm -hmm. And you're here to say, no, you are who you are and (laughs) you can do what you do. Let's put those expectations forward and it's going to be amazing. And so Thank you for this wonderful talk and reminder on how great it can be to be an SLP when we really play to all of our strengths. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really do think that you can be a professional and you can also be yourself Mm -hmm. and people will appreciate you for both. And then the only thing we're waiting for, Casey, is for you to start selling those magic wands on your website. (laughs) Right. I know, right? (laughs) Those magic wands that don't exist. (laughs) that I have to remind parents, hey, I'm not a magician. So we either partner or, you know. (laughs) Once you get that going, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Casey. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. And if you'd like to get in touch with us at the podcast, send us an email at slpfulldisclosure at gowithadvanced.com. And each episode's show notes are available at the website, gowithadvanced.com. 
backslash SLP full disclosure. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to get the latest updates. And if you want to give us a little shout out, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread the word. Also, special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Advanced Travel Therapy. See you next time. Mm-hmm.